Good morning, Hume uh, Lake. My name's Travis. I am not a professional volleyball player. I'm sorry if I misled anybody. Uh, I played volleyball in high school and college, and I won a couple bucks last year, so I like to see I lost my amateur status. But uh, hey, if you have a Bible, uh, I ask you to join me in 1 Kings 3, uh, Old Testament, 1 Kings 3. We'll be there in a few minutes. Um, uh, I'm sure we've never met after I, I've spent 16 years in youth ministry. I spent seven years as a campus pastor at a Christian university. And after all that, I was finally demoted two years ago to be a lead pastor at a church you've never heard of in Redding, California uh, called Valley Christian Family. Anything after youth ministry is a demotion. I've always been taught that. It's the pros there this week. Um, and, and by the way, uh, I did not grow up going to Hume. Um, I was sent to a Christian school by my non-believing parents. And I came to trust Christ and follow him as my savior when I was six years old. Uh, my mom and dad trusted Christ as their savior when I was about 12. They got baptized. Then we had this journey of trying to become a, a family that goes to church. And we really never connected very much when I was a teenager. But when I was 16 years old, a friend named Jason had uh, just said this to me one day. He said, hey, you're coming to youth group tonight, right? It was probably one of the lamest invitations. Um, and I, I showed up. I had known, it was actually, if you guys know Kareen McIntyre, uh, I went to high school with her. It was her church youth group. Kareen never invited me, uh, but, but Jason did. And I showed up that night and I stayed at that church for 17 years and became a pastor for 12 years. I just want to remind you to never underestimate the power of an invitation. It can be lame. It could just be, just come with me. Come join me. And it changed my life. Um, I went to my first high school summer camp as a super senior. And then I kept going back as a youth leader and youth volunteer. My wife, Annette, she grew up uh, coming to Hume Lake uh, through uh, the kids, to the junior high, and through the high school. And in the summer of 1992, my wife spent a summer here working at the, I guess, the snack shack, snack shop. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it changed her life, really, from her own words. She was attending a, a Cabrillo College out near Santa Cruz. Um, and after just spending time with the men and women, the other college-age uh, kids there, just who were oriented toward Christ, who were growing and pursuing Jesus, my wife made, to me, uh, the best decision that she could have made. She decided to complete her college education at a Christian university, uh, one where she would study God's word and also uh, get a degree in education. So she chose this small, tiny Christian university, Christian college in Redding, California. And that was the same year that I chose to transfer from a state university in Southern California and go there. And we met, and we're probably one of the only couples that have ever met at a Christian college and got married. <laughs> we're we're kind of unique that way, but I am thankful. I am thankful for what God has done in my wife's life through Hume, and that's even a part of how we uh, met. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, this week. Um, and, and in our, our, Hume, our, our Hume teaching series, we're going to walk through um, a teaching series I've just titled Good Life. We're going to walk through wisdom literature, specifically Proverbs, how to study wisdom literature, really leaning in on the first five chapters that will teach us how to read the rest of the book. Um, Proverbs is a part of what's called the wisdom literature. Even though every book of scripture will teach us wisdom um, and discretion and, and guidance, 
Um, three of the books, specifically Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, are what are called uh, wisdom literature. The wisdom of God is, uh, it is centered on God. Biblical wisdom is. Biblical wisdom teaches us how to handle our affairs in God's world. It said that the book of Proverbs won't take you to church. The book of Proverbs speaks to you right where you're at, at work, at school, in the home, on your team, at college, in romance. It speaks wisdom and how we might walk in God's ways. The book of Proverbs assumes that people want to win at life, that you seek blessing rather than curse. Um, and even though there are some people who are just bent on running their life right into the ground, Proverbs is an optimistic book laying out before us that we get to make choices, that God has given us the ability to choose either crooked paths or paths of righteousness that are just and true according to his ways. And when we walk according to his ways, we find good life. We find God's blessing. Doesn't mean we are impervious to suffering and hardship. Um, and yet there is a, a rich, fulfilling life in walking in his ways. Every day, even today, you've already made choices. You get to make choices. And each and every one of these choices either invite God's goodness, his blessing, or you can make choices that bring shame and pain and regret. And you get to choose. I learned at a very early age that our choices can bring consequences. I was four years old, sitting in the back of my mom's Firebird. Uh, they didn't have car seats back then. We would just roll around in the back seat, sitting in the back. And I, and I, I came up with this game because when my mom was at a stoplight, I would push the passenger seat up front to the, to the dashboard. And then whenever my mom, when a green light came and she accelerated, that seat would slam back and bounce back into place. So I decided that I would put my four-year-old bare foot in the slam zone. And that when my mom would accelerate, I had just a split second to pull my foot out of that area. And, and, and it worked. And it was a great idea until it wasn't. Until we were at a red light that was just too long for my four-year-old attention span. I, I lost concentration. My foot is there. Light turns green. My mom accelerates. And the seat crushes my toes. Searing pain, screams, tears, and I paid a high price for a foolish choice. But maybe a little bit of wisdom, just a little bit of discretion, some thoughtful calculation could have helped me avoid and could have spared me that pain. Now, as we get older, the choices that I make come with greater costs. And now as a husband and as a father and as a pastor of a church, my foolish choices not only crush my toes, but they'll crush the toes of my wife and my kids and my church. There is a lot riding on the choices that we make. If only God would give us a resource. If only God would give us someone and something to guide us in wise living, to make right choices, to become skilled in the art of life because all of us need to be shaped and trained and corrected and trained in wisdom. And so this morning to kick off our teaching, I'm not gonna even open up the book of Proverbs. I've asked you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 
three, a foundational event in King Solomon's life because Solomon is considered to be the author of most of the Proverbs. Solomon is considered the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. He's the father of the wisdom tradition. And Solomon, as we learned here, he is the king of uh, son of David. He's the third king. I did not make this slide. I did something like this in seminary and I guarantee you it did not look like this. So I stole this from the internet. Um, Solomon was the third king of Israel. And, uh, and so as we open up 1 Kings chapter three, would you pray this prayer after me out loud if you mean it? And it's this prayer, Father, would you teach us from your word today? Amen. First Kings three, verses one through three, we read this. Solomon, he's king at this point. He made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Verse two, the people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had been built for the name of the Lord. Verse three, Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Now, when I consider Solomon, I'm conflicted. If you know much about Solomon's life, uh, as with many biblical characters, Solomon's life is both heroic and tragic. Heroic in the sense that there are aspects we should commend and we ought to imitate. And there are aspects of Solomon's life that we are to denounce and reject with just about every character in scripture. We learn that Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. He made an alliance with Egypt against God's warning. See Deuteronomy 7 and 17. God warned them not to unite or make alliances with Egypt because Egypt stands in opposition to everything that Israel is to be about. We also learn later that Solomon loved many foreign women. And when I say many, I mean many. There's a lot of them. We learn that Solomon also in this passage and the people of Israel, they brought their offerings to what was called the high places. Mentioned here a couple times in the passage, high places, because God's temple had not been built yet. Solomon will build that temple later. Now, these high places that we read about, they were, they were kind of a one-stop shop for anybody to come and worship God or any God they chose. They were one of the main downfalls of Israel. We'll read that his, his command to his people is to remove, to the kings, remove the high places from the land. It showed that having these high places showed their, their readiness to compromise their faith in God, to depart from worshiping God alone because they would come here and maybe they would worship the God of Israel, the Lord, but they would also worship any other God that they chose. See Deuteronomy 12, they're called to destroy the high places and build one place to worship the Lord. So we read in verse three, Solomon loved the Lord, but he's compromising in other areas. He's, he's offering uh, sacrifices at these high places. He is a king with a divided heart. But isn't that you and me as well? 
We love the Lord. We aim to walk in his ways, and yet we have a divided heart. There's other areas that we are compromising that are not yet fully submitted uh, to the Lord. Verse four and five. And the king, this is Solomon, he went to Gibeon. Can you just say Gibeon out loud? Say Gibeon. It's gonna come up a, a little bit later too. He went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. That was like the high place of high places. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. Ask what I shall give you. It's a picture from the 17th century of topless Solomon. I know that's what you wanted this morning. He uh, should have a shirt on because he's not near the lake or the swimming pool. I read that when I walked over here. Um, Solomon is at Gibeon. The Lord appears to him in a dream. Um, the Lord responds. And this is curious to me. He responds to Solomon's worship and sacrifices, even though he's doing it at a high place where he ought not to. But the Lord appears to him in a dream. Now, in ancient times, a dream is not, is not understood as just a random you know, offer of the unconscious. But in ancient times, in scripture, a dream, uh, when God appeared, it was an intrusion by God into one's affairs. And God appears to Solomon and he asks this question, what do you want? Solomon, ask me and I will give you what you ask for. First of all, we learn, and you know, we can ask God for things. It's called petition, right? It's a part of prayer. It's not all of our prayer, but we can ask God for things. We can come to him with our needs, our desires as well. God allows, and he even invites us to make requests of him in prayer. Someone asks this, why should we pray? I love Martin Luther, the Protestant uh, reformer. He said this, this is why we pray. We pray because God commanded us to and he promised he would listen. Why should you pray? Why should you pray? God knows everything, right? He knows before you even say it. Why should you pray? Because God commanded you to. God told you to pray and he promised he would listen. If God appeared to you tonight in a dream and asked you a question like he asked Solomon, what would you be your response? What would be your immediate response? If he said, ask me for what I shall give you. Man, I, I would, I'd be worried about messing that up. <laughs> I'd be worried about like, because right now, immediately, a couple things I know we need. We have a gopher in our front yard and our backyard that is tearing up. And I'm like, Lord, if you could just move that to my neighbor's yard, put a boundary somehow. Um, I commute on my bike uh, uh, to church and back. I am not a cyclist. I don't own one pair of spandex, not yet. I know they're in my future, but I'm a commuter. There's a difference. I, I ride in my jeans and my tennis shoes, but man, am I picking up tons of goat head thorns. I'm changing inner tube and, and patching inner tubes all the time. Lord, if, if, if there's one thing I need right now, could you just part wherever my bike goes, just part it of any glass or thorn. What, what would we offer? Of course, those would be wasted if those were my requests. But what is it you, you want? What is your deepest need? What is your, your greatest request of God? Not just what do you want, but what is it you truly need? And what would you ask for? 
Think about that these next few minutes. Let's read what Solomon asks for. Verse, uh, verse six. Solomon says in verse six, and Solomon said, you, speaking to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father. Solomon begins with gratitude. He says, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne this day. God, thank you for your faithfulness to my father and the fact that I am now in his place. Verse seven and eight, Solomon says, and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant, me, he's talking about himself, you've made your servant king in place of my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Verse eight, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Solomon begins with gratitude. Then Solomon moves into humility before the Lord. Before he even utters his request, he says this, I am but a little child. Some people get puzzled over that. It doesn't, it's not indicating that Solomon is seven years old at this time. But when, when Solomon says he's a grown man, we saw the picture, he's a grown man, he, uh, he is saying, Lord, it is expressing dependence and humility that even grown men, grown women can understand what that means when we say, I am but a child. God, I need you. I, I, I don't have it within me to do what you have placed before me. He says, I do not know how to go out or to come in, which is probably just a general expression of the leadership duties that a king had. Specifically, to go out or to come in is probably referencing the duty of a king for military uh, action. When, when a king would lead his army out to battle and bring the army back in, he's saying, I'm but a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to carry out these important duties to be king. So Solomon feels, I believe, inadequate in view of the great task before him. Solomon recognizes the great task. Do you recognize, do you, do you have any of that uh, experience as well that God has placed before you a high task? I think about, God bless you, many of you who are serving this week. What a high task that you're going to be entrusted with hundreds of lives this week. That should give you pause to say, Lord, I want to be about your work, but, but I am but a child. How can I carry out these duties in and of myself? The responsibilities facing Solomon were all the greater in that Israel was God's chosen nation. They were God's people that, that, king, that Solomon was king over. The king was to govern God's people in accordance with God's will, in accordance with God's law, in accordance with God's commands. And so Solomon here, he acknowledges what I call the mismatch. He acknowledges the gap between his task and his ability. The task is great. 
His own resources and abilities are not up to to meet that task. And I want you in this moment to reflect, is there a task, that a calling that God has placed upon you today or, or, or this week? A great task? And do you have it to meet it? Can you do that? Can you say, God, you can take the week off. I've got this one. Or do you sense that mismatch? I do this morning. I do leading a church. Who is up to the task to lead God's church in truth and righteousness? I sense that mismatch. Where's the mismatch in your life between what the task God has set for you and the abilities and resources that you have in and of yourself? So Solomon admits he's only a child. So Solomon is going to ask God, here's his request. He's gonna ask God to overcome the mismatch, to fill the gap between the task and Solomon's own ability. Verse nine, Solomon makes his request. He says, so give, here's the request to God. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Solomon asks for an understanding mind. You might have your scripture open and your Bible might have a different word than mind. If it has a different word, would you just shout it out? Heart, an understanding, uh, a discerning heart. Mind says mind. Um, they, uh, I have a literal, I'm using the ESV. The New American Standard um, uses the word heart. The Hebrew word, uh, word, the root is levav or lev, which means mind, heart, the inner person, the core of who you are. And I know today we use heart to often refer to our emotions and feelings. We use our mind to uh, refer to our intellectual ability. We have sort of a dichotomy. That's okay. That's part of how we speak. But when we read the scriptures, there was no dichotomy or much separation Uh, The heart and the mind are often used synonymously. Most of the time, it's the word heart. And while the the biblical writers understood that the heart was an organ that pumped blood, that sustained life, most often when the scriptures refer to the heart, it's talking about your inner person, the core of who you are, the center, the control seat. The heart is where you make, it's where you think, It's where you make decisions between good and evil. All of your words originate in your heart. We act out of the contents of our heart. That's why the heart was of utmost importance because everything, all the issues of life overflow from the heart. Guard your heart, we read in in Proverbs. In the New Testament, set your heart on things above. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, Solomon here is asking for God to give him an understanding mind, an understanding heart to think and choose and act in accordance with God's word. This, This phrase, an understanding mind or heart. The root word is Shema, uh, understanding. Maybe you've heard that from Deuteronomy 6. Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Give me a heart that hears. That's what Solomon is asking. 
A heart that has ears to listen because the ear is the organ of obedience. Solomon is asking for a heart that listens and obeys God's word. It's kind of a mixed metaphor. Picture a heart that has ears. I'm always mixing my metaphors. I said one time at a church uh, staff meeting, I said, man, I want people to taste the heartbeat of our church. Taste the heartbeat. It was a showstopper. It was horrible. Like, Trav, what do you mean? I'm like, I mixed that up. It sounds like Solomon is mixing this up. Give me a heart that has ears. Ears that are attentive, that are obedient to understand your word and to put your word into practice as king. And why does Solomon ask for a hearing heart? Verse nine, he says that I might discern, discriminate between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people? Who is up to this task? The primary work of a king in the ancient world was to serve as a judge, to render decisions, to govern and lead God's people, to render verdicts, to determine between good and evil just and unjust, to know the difference between right and wrong. Solomon isn't asking uh, for wisdom so that he's just clever and smart and that he knows a lot of facts and can, can beat people at trivia. That's not the purpose. He asks God to make him attuned to God's truth and God's will, that he would have an instinct to put God's truth into practice. That's where we get this, this idea of wisdom and, and yes, knowledge to know God's truth, but wisdom is the ability to, to act upon it. Sometimes we know the right thing to do, but we don't do it. That's called folly. That's foolishness. Wisdom is where it actually fleshes out into our own decisions that we would have, that you would have an instinct to know God's word and to know with every situation that comes up, an instinct to know which is good and what is evil. Uh, I, I told you I, I played volleyball. Uh, I had a high school that didn't have a football team. We had a, a men's, a men's, I was a freshman boy. It was a boys volleyball team. Uh, played boys volleyball, played in college at a, at a state university and then up north as well. And, and, and I coached a little bit. And, and you, know, you coach players, any sport you've been in, you coach them technique and, and, and there's like a playbook and a manual, but not just so that they know the manual, but so when they get into game time, they have an instinct, an instinct of, of, of where to pass, where to, to play. Same thing when you have, a, you have a driver's license, right? I hope if you have a driver's license, you went through some sort of testing, some sort of manual that you read and studied, not just so that you would know the manual, but that when you're behind the wheel, you have an instinct for safe driving because there's gonna be situations that come up that you've, you've never seen before but that you would have an instinct for, for how to control the car and how to protect your passengers and others. King Solomon is asking for an understanding heart that he would have an instinct to govern and lead God's people according to God's ways. So Solomon's concern is not for himself. He's concerned for the welfare of God's people. That is the, the root of this request. How do you think God will respond to a request like that. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. It pleased the Lord 
that Solomon had asked this. Anytime we read that the Lord is pleased in someone's action, I just think we need to take pause. That God was pleased that, the Lord, that, that Solomon had asked this and God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. See, these other prayers um, would have been common kingly prayers, right? If, if you, know, you heard long live the king. So for the king to say, give me long life, um, give me riches or give me the life of my enemies. That was common, a common kingly prayer. But those requests would have been displeasing to God. If your requests are for long life, prosperity and riches, I don't think that moves the heart of God. Request, uh, but, but his request was for the welfare of God's people. Look at God's response, verse, verse 12 earlier, because, because you've asked for this. God said, because you've asked for understanding, an understanding mind, heart to, to govern the people. Verse 12, behold, God says, I now do according to your word. That just gives me pause that the creator of the universe would say that to a man or to, to a woman, to someone. I now do according to your request. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Verse 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Verse 14, and if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. I don't know if this is theologically the best way to say it, but I, I put God was moved by Solomon's prayer. The, the immovable, immutable, unchangeable God responded to Solomon's request. And why was God pleased or moved? Because Solomon asked for gifts to govern and lead not gifts for his own well-being. Let us consider the content of our requests and our prayers. It's natural for me to ask God for blessing upon my own life. But what if we look at those whom God has entrusted to us and we have concern that we would lead and, and, and act in ways that are consistent and that will benefit others? Solomon's concern in this request was not for himself. It was for the welfare of God's people, for God's glory, not his own. Imagine uh, parents in here. I'm sure even if you don't have kids, you can uh, imagine what it would be like if your teenage child had a request of you and came up and asked you for 20 bucks. If my teenager asks me for $20, I'm generally going to ask, well, what do you need $20 for? And, and with this scenario, let's say your teenager says, well, you know, our elderly neighbors... Um, I, I want to mow their lawn and their lawnmower is out of gas and I'm asking for $20 that I can fill their lawnmower with gas and mow their lawn. How would you respond? First, a drug test. <laughs> after reviving from fainting, maybe. But a request like that, I believe I am moved. I am pleased and I will open my wallet for a request like that. 
The conclusion of the story, verse 15, and Solomon awoke. Remember, this was a dream that God appeared to him. Verse 15, Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Now, not to make too much of this, but in the beginning of the story, uh, where was Solomon offering sacrifices at? What was the name of the place? The Gibeon, the, the, where the, the greatest high place was. Well, the end of this, he is now in Jerusalem and he is making his offerings there. And that is where he will later build the temple of God. Now, right after this, First uh, Kings tells a story that displays Solomon's great wisdom. I'm gonna paraphrase it. You may have heard it before. You can read it as well right there. Confirming that God did as he said, that, that Solomon truly had wisdom to judge according to what is good and evil. So uh, two women, they were prostitutes. They came to Solomon with a dispute. Have you heard this one? Um, both of these women had babies within three days of each other. Well, one night, unfortunately, one baby died because the mother had rolled over on him. But this mom traded her dead child for the other living child. And now they're fighting. They're fighting. Well, my baby is the live one. No, mine is. And so they bring this to Solomon, the king, to, to figure out. There's no witnesses. There's no DNA tests for them to figure out who is the rightful mother of the living child. So Solomon says, bring me a what? Bring me a sword. Oh, Solomon, what are you doing asking for a sword? Bring me a sword. Let's cut the baby in half so that each of you can share him. And at this, the true mother blurts out. She says, no, don't do it. Give my baby to the other one. But the other woman said, sounds good to me. <laughs> What's fair is fair. Let's cut the baby in two. Solomon does not injure the baby, but knows who the true mother is and gives the baby back to its true mother. And here's the conclusion, 1 Kings 3, 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This is the scripture writers giving evidence to what God promised to do in his dream. Uh, the next chapter, I'll just read this for you. 1 Kings 4, 29 and 32. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005, just like Nickelback. <laughs> this is where we're gonna read some of the proverbs of Solomon, some of the wisdom that God has given. The prayer of Solomon has changed my own prayers. To ask for God, ask God for things beyond myself. To ask for gifts that aren't just for my own welfare, but for the welfare of his people and for God's glory. Because like Solomon, I need God to fill that gap. And so do you. The gap or the mismatch between the calling that he's placed upon your life, between the task that he has before you this week and your own resources to meet it. But you ask God to fill that, that mismatch, that gap. Give me wisdom 
Father. Give me a heart that listens to your word and obeys your word that I might lead your people to do the same. You might be thinking, well, Trav, wait a minute, I'm not a king. I'm not a king like Solomon. I'm not the leader of a nation. That is true. You are not a king. I am not a king, but I am a captain and you are a captain. You are a captain of your own ship and you get to steer your ship by the choices that you make. And that's where the book of Proverbs really comes out is, is, is leading us in, and, and urging us to captain our ship upon the path or the way of the Lord and avoid crooked paths that will damage our toes, that will damage the toes of those around us and that will bring shame and disgrace where we can make choices that bring glory to God. And don't just think about the big choices. We'll all be ready when that big decision comes up. No, 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 we make those each and every day. And so I seek to captain my ship under the mighty lordship of Jesus Christ because I don't have it within my own. And I've known that my heart can be deceived. My understanding is fallible. I need God's wisdom each and every day. We never graduate from that school of needing God's wisdom. God alone is wise and he makes his wisdom available to us. And I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up uh, with this. Um, wisdom is considered to be an attribute of God. An attribute is, is a word that we use to describe what God has declared to be true about himself, attributes of God. And um, some of God's attributes belong to him alone. God is omniscient. What does omniscient mean? He's all knowing. God knows everything that there is to be known. That is one of God's attributes. God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere at once. Uh, that is an attribute of God that he does not share with you and me. We are not everywhere at once, nor are we omniscient, nor are we self-sufficient, meaning that God needs nothing to maintain his existence. But you and I need things like, like water and food and coffee to live but there are some of God's attributes which are called communicable. Communicable, sounds like a disease, right? Uh, but a communicable disease means you can catch it, you can spread it and share it. And some of God's attributes are considered communicable. And wisdom is one of those, that God shares that attribute. He shares with you and I as we seek his wisdom. God is wise in himself and he imparts wisdom to his children. And, and the, the scriptures just speak of God's readiness to give wisdom as we just learned in Solomon's life, that we might be good at life, that we might walk in his ways to make choices that glorify God and, and that join him in his good work in whatever situation we are in. Now listen, King Solomon's story is I think unique um, it is not common, it is particular. God, I don't believe, appears to us in a dream to ask us for whatever we want. God gave Solomon a wise and discerning heart, mind. It was a supernatural gift of God. So where do you and I get wisdom? Do we buy it? Do we borrow it? No, we get God's wisdom when we ask him for it. 
James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, my hand goes up, <laughs> yours too. If, if I lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So from what I can read and understand from the scriptures is, and what we'll learn this week in Proverbs is that wisdom is not an instant download. Wisdom is a, a process of growth and maturity as we walk with God and seek to know him more and more. And as we dive and as we Im, Im, ingest, imbibe, I don't know if those are right words, God's word, that, it, that it, it, it infiltrates our very thinking and speech. We find God's wisdom in other people, that God speaks his truth to others if, but the wise person will be open to counsel and instruction and correction. Proverbs 1.8, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Have you opened your ears to your father and mother's teaching, whether they're your biological father or mother's, or maybe you have other mothers and fathers who are speaking God's wisdom. Are you listening? Are you asking? Humble yourself to listen to the wisdom that God has given others to share with you. Thirdly, we find wisdom by being trained by our own experiences, our own decisions. Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. No kidding. But later, there's an afterwards. It, this discipline, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It will bear fruit only though to those who have been trained by it. Your foolish decisions, my foolish decisions, and the consequences that you will endure and that I endure can be our greatest teacher if we will be trained by them. I read when I was studying to be a youth pastor, uh, I read about a youth pastor who took his kids cliff, cliff jumping. The youth pastor did not check the depth of the water they were jumping into. First teenager jumped in, broke his leg. Tragic, but it gets worse. He let a second teenager jump in and this girl jumps and breaks her leg. Two for two. That guy was fired from being a youth pastor. He should not be in youth ministry. Foolish enough to not look out for the safety of the ones that have been entrusted to him, but even worse, that one broke their leg. And so if he would have learned or been trained are you the same? Is God teaching you, even growing you through your uh, wandering off path? And yet people who have learned and been trained by that are better for it. The fool will not be trained by it. And lastly, we find God's wisdom in God's word. God is not silent. God's word, he reveals, he is a speaking God. He, he reveals who he is in his word, but God's word is not merely informative. It's also prescriptive. God prescribes a right way to live. And as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves under God's word, we can be trained in the ways that God leads us. But many Christians will never gain wisdom because we neglect the word of God. And so our aim in this Hume teaching series is to learn how to study the Proverbs, the wisdom literature that we might grow in wisdom, that we might make better decisions and become skilled in the art of life. Proverbs is optimistic because it, it believes that we can change. 
We can make godly decisions. And I'll tell you, some of the wisdom we'll discuss this week are, are, it's very practical. We'll talk about future and plans. Maybe you have decisions to make about future. And maybe you have questions about romance, about love life. Some of, some of God's, and I know I can't say this, God's best words about sex and romance. I know we can't say best because it means it's better than others, but I'm telling you, some of God's most profound words to young and old about God's design for romance and love are found in Proverbs. And we'll get to, to navigate that. We all need that wisdom, that we would steward ourselves, that we would steward our sexuality in ways that honor God. And so we'll, we'll walk through that, that this week if you'll, you'll join me there. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna close. And I just ask as we pray, where is the mismatch in your life today? Where is, do you see the gap and that you need God's gift, you need God's help, you need God's wisdom? to carry out the task that he has set before you. Father, would you give us an understanding heart, a discerning mind that listens to your word and obeys your word. God, we might become skilled in discerning between right and wrong, between wisdom and folly, between life and death. And Father, would you empower us to captain our own ship each day under the mighty lordship of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, have your way in us this week. Have your way in each and every person that makes their way to this Hume camp, to any Hume camp this week. God, would you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen.